Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister, know the water's sweet, but blood is thicker. Oh, the sky. Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm going to have a brother? I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What's going on? Not much. What's going on with you, Tony? Not much. We are uh, just bedding in for the night here after this episode. We've got a snowstorm coming. Oh, the snow. The snow. Did you guys get any snow yet? It's that time of year. We got a little bit of snow today, and it lasted for like 10 minutes. There was pandemonium, and then it melted, and everybody returned to normal life. Yes. It'll be like that on and off for the rest of the season. <laughs> so here's what I don't understand about snow, and you guys get a lot more snow than the part of the country where I hang out in. Yes. But what happens here that's crazy is there is some sensational drama promulgated by the news community about the snow. And then literally it's as if everybody decides at that moment to go to the grocery store and buy enough ingredients to make French toast for the next six days straight. Yeah, what's the deal with that? How come everybody goes know. and buys bread and milk and eggs? I don't know. And the thing is, like, even we get caught up in this. And growing up in New Hampshire, the snow is, like, no big deal to me. However, yeah. like, we never have milk. And all of a sudden, like, we've got milk when it's when we think it's going <laughs> to snow. I'm not sure what we think is going to happen. You're like, we have to have milk. I have to have milk. <laughs> Where is the what milk? What are we going to do if there's no milk? The snow is coming. Where is the milk? <laughs> yeah, it's basically like that. In fact, last year, we got at one time, you know, it was that crazy storm. 32 inches, like just dead drop. Oh, yeah, on, that's right. Us. And even then, what was so remarkable is like eight hours, maybe 12 hours. Like everybody is out driving around, like doing their thing. Yeah. So I'm, I'm that, always confused about how long people think they're going to be snowed in. And then again, like this, it, it must, the snow maybe encourages this deep love and appreciation for French toast or like Belgian waffles. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. When I was living in Connecticut, um, we had a uh, snowstorm advisory and they said like to expect wide scale power outages. And they like two years before there was a really terrible storm and the power was out for like a week. So when they did that and then they closed the roads, the governor actually said that there was a travel ban except for emergency vehicles. So everybody went out to the grocery store and bought all the milk and all the eggs and all the water bottles. And I went and bought these like, um, hand warmers because i was like well if the power goes out there won't be heat so i'll just like throw the hand warmers in the bottom of my sleeping bag (laughs) and it'll be fine and then like the next the snow came and it was like three and a half inches there was like nothing completely messed up i love that you just were like get me some hand warmers yeah i mean i was like you know and if there's no heat i'll throw them in the sleeping bag it'll help keep me warm that's it's not a bad idea actually yeah i will say there was this one time when my parents were visiting us and it was actually during the summer And there was this crazy thunderstorm, this really powerful weather system that was moving through. And my mother's a fantastic woman. She's a champ. And 
I'll never forget that Jen had actually, my wife had actually gone off to the church uh, as part of a function. And it was so bad. She was, I think, helping with the youth group. And it was so bad that they like took her and the kids, like put them in the boiler room because there were yeah. rumors of tornadoes, all this stuff. And I remember we're watching on TV. So my parents and I just hanging out in the living room. And the weather guys are literally saying, if you're watching this, get in your basement right now. Why are you still watching this? You should be in your basement. Everything's going to blow away. And my mother turns to me and goes, I'm going to make some tea. Do you want any? <laughs> it's like that, that is the perfect description of our family when it comes to weather. Like We're just That's like, funny. it's all it's all good. Let it be. It's all good. Yeah, I grew up in Minnesota. And in Minnesota, they, you know, they have the, the tornado sirens. And uh, during the summer, it's like every other night the tornado sirens are going off. And instead of like running to the basement, people like run outside to see what's going on. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I've heard that, that those actually can have like the opposite effect. Like in yeah. the Midwest, like Chicago and stuff that people actually come out and they're like, yo, what's going on? And yeah. like everybody run. Yeah. People are like, uh, I think I, I think I know enough about weather to like get to the basement in time. I'm going to go out and see if I can see the tornado before it sweeps me away though. That is wild. All I know yeah. about tornadoes I've learned from the wizard of Oz. That's the, that exhausts my entire scope of knowledge on that subject. Yeah. I, I don't think you can actually get picked up by a tornado <laughs> and be safely deposited back on the ground after a magical adventure. I don't think Listen, it works that way. That's when people say tornado is coming. That is my fear is houses falling on me. Is that an inaccurate understanding? Probably it's probably not going to be the houses that get you, but it's <laughs> more likely that you're going to fall on a house than the house is going to fall on you. That's good to know. Well, yeah. speaking of snow, white Christmas, things that go along with white Christmas and snow. Yes. What are we talking about tonight, Tony? We are talking about Santa Claus tonight. Yeah, Santa Claus. Santa Claus. So if you are a parent uh, and you have your kids with you while you're listening to this, you may want to consider whether this is appropriate material or not if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, if there are tiny little people listening to this, you may want to whisk them away. Yes. So Santa Claus is um, a strangely controversial subject in Christian circles, I find. That's true. It is. So um, we acknowledge that controversy. And before we even start to talk about this, we just want to front load this episode by saying we um, absolutely respect that everybody has sort of a different perspective on this. And um, we don't want to, like, come across as standing in judgment or, like, demeaning anybody's tradition or their family perspectives on things. Um, but this is something that Christians kind of wrestle over and, and dispute about. So we wanted to talk, you know, as we're going into Christmas here, we wanted to talk a little bit about who Santa Claus really was, who St. Nicholas was. Um, and then also just kind of talk about, like, what what do we think about this? Like, what should Christians, how should Christians kind of reflect on this tradition that is sort of part of the Christian tradition, but also is sort of an attachment to the Christian tradition? If anything, it's actually a great opportunity to learn a little bit more about St. Nicholas. I think it's just a great way to kind of get to know a little bit more about his background. He does hold a prominent place, if not necessarily historical in terms of, kind of this legend that's been built around him. So like, give us the skinny. What's the deal with St. Nicholas? Yes. Yeah, so the real St. Nicholas uh, was a bishop in Myra, which is um, kind of modern day Turkey. It seems like everything significant in the early church and in the Bible happened in modern day Turkey. Yeah, because Turkey is awesome. I know. Everything happened in Turkey. But um, St. Nicholas was a bishop. His, uh, his rise to being a bishop was relatively um, uh, non-notable. 
and he is uh, legend to have participated in the Council of Nicaea, which we read the Nicene Creed last week, and I'm sure the Council of Nicaea will come up again in a couple weeks when we start talking about Christology. And the fact that he participated in the Council of Nicaea is is probably pretty solid on historical uh, facts. But it is rumored that uh, in the middle of the council proceedings, he was so upset with Arius, who was saying that the, the son was a creature, that he actually stood up and walked across the room and slapped Arius in the face. My man. Yeah. So um, so in between giving out presents and, um, you know, flying around on reindeer, he stopped in to punch a heretic in the face. So where is that Christmas song? Somebody please write that. We need to write that. That's uh, that's a good challenge for anyone out there who wants to write a, a Christmas jingle about uh, Santa Claus punching Arius in the face. So, um, but uh, apart from that, which almost certainly didn't happen um, for a whole host of historical reasons, um, he you know he was a bishop. He um, was focused on helping the poor. Um, a lot of the traditions about Christmas, about giving away gifts and things like that, come from sort of this reputation he had um, for helping the poor. There was a, a grain famine in um, 311 and 312, and then another one in 333. And so he um, was involved in trying to um, help kind of make sure people had food. Um, you know, there was all sorts of other things. He fought to keep taxes reasonable from the, the government, um, to keep um, the poor from being kind of crushed by the weight of the taxes. So St. Nicholas is definitely a commendable and laudable figure, I think, in Christian history. Really had a, a huge concern for the poor. And, um, you know, the the story of him slapping Arius is kind of funny to think about. But um, from everything that I've read about St. Nicholas, he did have a genuine um, passion and concern for orthodoxy, for right teaching and right thinking about God, which is something that, you know, the early church really, really focused on that. A lot of times in the modern church, we, we just don't focus on that. It's not passionate um, the same way it was. Um, you don't see a lot of people who are ready to go to blows over doctrine. Um, not that that's necessarily good, but, um, you know, someone who is offended enough by someone saying untrue about something untrue about God um, to to be willing to get in a fist fight for it. Um, we just don't see that kind of passion around it anymore. There's a lot that's very noble about the origins of Santa Claus as we recognize them in the Western world. And yeah, it's good to explore. I mean, there's a lot about St. Nicholas that's very historical. And then there's stuff kind of somewhat on the periphery that's just like downright interesting. And he has quite a large following still in many parts of the world as the, the actual saint. I mean, right. like you said, he was reputed um, not just to have done a lot of good, but there's this kind of like all these interesting stories about him as like a wonder worker, like bringing children back to life, destroying pagan temples. He's like the patron saint of sailors and brewers, which is right. wonderful. Yes. Um, I think one of my favorite things that I've heard said about him is that he, as an infant, nursed only two days a week and fasted the other five days. Oh. Respect. You know, I didn't know that he was a patron saint of brewers, so I wonder if that will uh, change our friend Tanner on the Reformed Pubcast, his perspective on uh, Santa Claus or not. Oh, I hope so. I think he should be down with that. He sh- they should be down with that. So you could even say that maybe he's like the patron saint of the Reformed Pubcast. I think that he is. I think that, I think that that should be their new logo. Yes, I would like that. Although their new logo that they've been using has a guy with Santa Claus hat on it, that Geneva Joe guy with his like shirt ripping open. Oh, I, j- I just thought that was actually St. Nicholas. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Geneva Joe and St. Nicholas are the same guy. Same, same person. But, yeah, there's a really – there's, like, all – and you can look this stuff up. Like, there's a lot of, like, unique historical pieces. But the things that are absolutely true, like you said, is even the stories themselves are all centered around his fidelity to the truth. Right. to the scriptures. And there is great historical evidence that he endured a fair amount of persecution. So here's a man who is really devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and is willing to do so at great personal cost. And of course, the whole gift giving thing comes from a lot of different sources, but his family was wealthy. And there's also good historical evidence that he gave a lot of that wealth away. And I think probably one of the famous stories is him coming across like three girls that were particularly destitute young women and they were in the process of being threatened to be sold into some kind of slavery. And so he prayed, paid, paid their bridal price by throwing like three bags of gold, supposedly depositing it through their windows one evening. And so, of course, you can extrapolate all of the kind of modern uh, derivatives of what that meant. But and to this day, actually, I believe he's still also considered, and this is a random thing, the patron saint of pawnbrokers, which is why if you see like a pawnbroker sign and you ever see like three gold circles, it's supposedly referring to that story of him and these three girls depositing into their window the bridal price in gold. Have you ever heard that before? No, I'm not sure whether I'm more interested that it's St. Nicholas that is the patron saint of pawnbrokers or that there is a patron saint of pawnbrokers. <laughs> Seems like there's a patron saint for everything. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And that's what makes this dude like so interesting. Like there's no doubt he was a historical figure. Like you said, there's really good evidence that he was out of the Council of Nicaea. The fact that he would like a story would be told of him just like laying the smack down on Arian is in itself fantastic. And then he's this really interesting. He's just a character. And yeah, somebody had told me or I'd read somewhere that there is speculation that there's actually more images or having more images created of St. Nicholas than Mary. That's how popular he is, especially in various parts of Europe, like, or in Russia. Interesting. I did find out just from reading on Wikipedia, which we all know is 100% accurate all the time, but there was a uh, BBC program where they actually took the bones of uh, St. Nicholas. They, they, you know, in the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic tradition, they're very big on relics. And so the, the bodies of bishops and saints and stuff get preserved. And they took the bones from his crypt and they found out that uh, he was about five feet tall and had a broken nose. And they did facial reconstruction on the skeleton, but I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to find an actual um, image of the facial reconstruction. But uh, that'd be pretty cool to see, I think. That is fascinating. Did they put the bones in a stocking? I don't know. I'm not sure. The uh, The bones got pretty mad, though, and smacked the person doing the facial reconstruction <laughs> in the face. Say, seems, seems like a missed opportunity. And then he went and brewed some beer. <laughs> I, I love this guy. Yes. So um, I think, too, you know, we, you know, we talk about St. Nicholas. And I, I, for one, think that, you know, Christians would do well to spend some time with their families um, talking about St. Nicholas. Um, because the you know the tradition with Santa Claus, sort of the jolly red fat man who flies around in a sleigh, like that's really kind of a modern invention, um, really a modern American invention. It's not something you see in other parts of the world. Uh, they have their own kind of Santa Claus traditions, but it was it was really driven by like the Coca Cola company and like le- le- legitimately driven by commercial interests, um, which is something that you know I'd never really thought of growing up with Santa Claus being just part of the background. Um, then to learn later in life that like it really was a kind of a commercial invention was really strange to me. 
Yeah, and there's a lot of what we know as Santa today is like derivative, from what I understand, of the Dutch, Dutch culture. And I've been to the Netherlands uh, once, and I will say it was definitely ubiquitous there, like more so than any other place I've ever been. And again, I'm not real good on Dutch, but my understanding is like Santa Claus itself is a portmanteau or like a combination of St. Nicholas that's kind of just been, again, it's just all derivative. Yeah. So it, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like I think a lot of times, even for me for quite some time, I just figured Santa Claus as a character is just 100% in total pagan. Like it's just a whole secularized idea. And there's part of that that's true. But again, there's like some real noble origin there that's really worth kind of understanding and reading a little bit about. Yeah. Yeah. So what what was your tradition growing up? Um, you know, I know a little bit of it now being part of the family, seeing kind of the leftover as as an adult, we still get presents that are from Santa. Yeah. Um, but what was your tradition like? What was your family's tradition like growing up? So I have three siblings, all that are all younger than I. And we did Santa when we were growing up. And, you know, my father is a pastor, as I mentioned before, and my mother by default is a pastor's wife. And um, we always enjoyed that. And for them, Santa was always a part of like this wonderful, fun and joyful Christmas tradition. And I can say for certain that I was never confused between like Santa and Jesus or Santa and any other kind of uh, sensibility about the spirit of God or God himself. It was just a way that I think uh, my parents used to really make the holiday loving, to lavish love on us, to be expressed generosity, and to bring just kind of this air of fun to it. I mean, I think especially as we grew older, I never remember having like the conversation of, well, Santa isn't real. I think we always kind of had this sense through the gift giving that he was a fictional character, but he just like any other fictional character that children uh, see or learn good lessons from or understand and appreciate. And that's what he was. And so it was just a wonderful way we get, we got gifts from Santa. And we knew, of course, that that was the generosity of my mother and father. But it was a way for them to kind of be especially generous or uh, kind of do something fun in the spirit of being joyful and recklessly kind of spend thrift with how they sh- showed their love to us. Um, and that was always my experience. And that was like very wonderful. And I always look fondly on those times um, because... I saw how hard my parents worked to, at the same time, celebrate Jesus like wholeheartedly and also kind of embrace this, the fun cultural things of the holiday, which we talked about, yeah. without at all ever like creating parity between Santa and Jesus. Um, in fact, like one of the things that my mother still does that I really think is fantastic is, and you, I think you've done this with us for quite a while, Tony, is um, uh, because Christmas is at least a remembering of Jesus being born, my mother would always generally on Christmas Eve make like this great homemade glorious birthday cake that said happy birthday Jesus. And we would sing happy birthday to Jesus, which I think to some probably sounds like funny. Uh, But that was just like a wonderful reminder that everything centered around Christ, that we were always looking to honor him first, to give him glory. And that this time of remembrance that we didn't think he was actually born on the 25th, um, but that this time of remembrance was exactly for him. We were trying to order our lives around the fact that he was given uh, to us and for us. And the birthday cake was a symbol of that because in my family, birthdays are big. Like they're paramount yeah. because we want to celebrate life and we celebrate the person that God has given into our lives. 
And so it just made sense that Jesus is the most important person we could possibly celebrate. So we're, I think my mother was always like, he gets a cake and he gets center stage. Yeah. And Santa was just one of these wonderful kind of periphery things like fruitcake and decorations and Christmas tree um, that in the end pointed us always back to the source of all this joy, which was Jesus Christ himself. So that was, that was basically, it's a long way to answer, but that was my, my experience. How about you guys? Do you guys do the Santa thing? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that my parents ever explicitly told me that Santa Claus was real, but I think I always thought he was. So I kind of had the opposite experience where, like, you know, I remember vaguely growing up, and it might be one of those things where I've just seen the picture so much that maybe I feel like I remember it. But I remember as a really, really, really young child, um, Santa Claus showed up at the house one time um, and, you know, came in and, and, you know, gave me my presents and, and all of that. Um, and it, you know, I found out years later that it was like the neighbor across the street that my parents had, had hooked up to come in and do Santa Claus. But, um, you know, I always, I always, and, and being raised in a a home where like, we weren't, we weren't scriptural. We weren't, we weren't studying the Bible or learning about the Bible. We weren't attending church. Um, I didn't really know much about the Christian part of Christmas until I was older. Um, you know, we had a manger scene and, and I was the one that would set up the nativity and I could tell you like the Christmas story that like Jesus was born on Christmas and, and all of that. But, um, I never really like understood what that meant. So I also did not have kind of this blurring between Christmas or between, uh, Jesus and Santa that some people talk about, but it's because Jesus just wasn't part of the picture. Um, but we made a big deal about Santa. Like we, you know, did the cookies and milk thing, um, you know, and, uh, we left carrots for Santa's reindeer. Um, yeah, we did that too. We did all that stuff. And um, I I always believed it. But I, I didn't have that experience where, like, I, I found out that Santa wasn't real, um, you know, and had, like, a nervous breakdown. Um, I just sort of realized one day that Santa wasn't real. It was just was, like, one year. And I, I couldn't tell you when it was either. That's the weird thing. Um, I remember when I was a little kid thinking Santa was real. And then I know that at some point I stopped believing that, but I don't remember when that was. So we, we did the whole Santa Claus thing. Um, you know, we would I would go to the mall and, and go see Santa at the mall and take pictures and everything like that. Um, but, yeah, it was just kind of a normal kind of happy, sappy family Christmas tradition for us to have Santa Claus and talk about Santa. And I got gifts from Santa just like, you know, I think most kids probably did. Um and again, at some point I realized that those were gifts that were for my parents. And I think you're right. Like we, we didn't have a lot of money growing up. Um, we weren't super poor, but we, we weren't super rich either. And, um, I think when I look back at it, it was in some ways, I think it was probably a way for my mom and dad to justify that they were giving me extra gifts without me feeling like, oh, well, mom and dad, are, I'm entitled to more gifts from mom and dad because look at how much they gave me at Christmas. Um, there was sort of this unsaid thing that's like we as a family recognize that like these gifts are from Santa as in like we can't give this many gifts normally. You shouldn't right. expect us to be able to provide this kind of luxury in a normal circumstance. And so the labeling a gift from Santa kind of became a stand-in for – um, kind of like the extra generosity that my, my parents mustered at Christmas time. Yeah, I can say for myself that this was always a very fun thing. And as I look back on it, I think maybe what made it so fun is that there are so few areas in life or spaces where families can almost participate in this kind of corporate 
exercise of yeah. make-believe. And I think that it was always a joy for my mother and my father to participate in that with us. And I, I think that we never took it uh, too seriously. Uh, the, it was this really fun thing. And uh, that's all that it was. And it was really beautiful in its own right for that purpose. So like I think back to my wife's situation, I think is somewhat similar. And her family used to do like somewhat something of a twist where she would get, if she got like a big kind of expensive or very generous gift, uh, she always knew that's what it was because the tag would say, it would mention her name as the recipient, but it would always be from somebody that would give a clue as to what the gift was. So like on the year that she got an iPod when they first came out, it was like to Jen from Steve Jobs. <laughs> and that was like their way of like just bringing a sense of fun to the whole experience and just making it as enjoyable as possible. And those were, you know, gifts from Santa and they were just meant to be fun. And so I think there's, I, I certainly understand and can appreciate Christians who have strong convictions one way or the other about this. Um, but, you know, for my own part, it was always kind of a, a wonderful thing. And it always, to me, really, it, it did not, I know there's an argument that some people say, well, uh, as parents, which you and I are both not for the, right. we should say in full disclosure. So um, for what it's worth, don't, do not take any parenting advice from me or Tony. <laughs> that would be a, a horrible idea. It would be a bad idea. It would just, yeah, just be horrible. I would be um, like, just take just take the baby outside, and eventually she'll pee in the grass. Take the baby outside. That's, I mean, eventually she'll go in the grass, and then you bring her back inside and give her a cookie. Uh, uh, Reform Brotherhood parenting tips. Take your <laughs> child outside when they have to go to the bathroom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Wait until they go. Then yep. reward that child yes. with a cookie. Yeah, it's a good thing we don't have kids right now. Yeah, I have a um, dog. Anyone who thinks I'm crazy, that was, that was a joke about the dog. Yeah. It was a good thing. This is just going to be disclosures. Glad that we cleared long. that up. All night long. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, it was just one of these things that was done to bring about a sense of kind of make-believe and joy and fun and pretending. And for my own part, I never found that to be detrimental. And in point of fact, like even when I'd speak to people who have said, and I have good friends on both sides of this who have said, you know, we've just decided for one reason or another that that's not the route we're going to take. Or, or maybe we explain to our kids up front that Santa's like a fictional character. And this time of year, we like to pretend about his involvement in the holiday. Um, but even with people who feel very strongly about this, I have yet to meet somebody who's really been traumatized by the experience or found it to like erode or undermine their entire faith experience. That's not to say that's a reason not or to do it. But I also think there's there's something to be said for like we've talked about before with Halloween or something else, like right. embracing the appropriate parts of the cultural holiday in such a way that it does not impinge upon scripture and does not go against uh, God's truth. Yeah. And, and I actually have talked to some people that have struggled, um, who struggled in their faith when they found out that Santa wasn't real because they kind of lived their early Christian life, sort of their faith in in Jesus was sort of because their parents told them Jesus was real, that Jesus told them. And I think some of that might be, um, and I don't know, I don't know these people's parents. I don't know their upbringing, but I think some of that might be that a lot of times we, you know, we colloquially, we communicate to our kids the wrong way about Jesus. And we sort of communicate that Jesus is just this guy who wants to like give us presents if we're good. Um, and that present, you know, that present is that we get to go to heaven instead of to hell. And and so I think sometimes we do confuse our kids when we, you know, we paint 
Jesus as though he is sort of a, a you know salvation Santa Claus. Right. Um, but but what do you think? I mean, are you, have you run into arguments from people about kind of why we shouldn't do Christmas? Yeah, I mean, I think that part of that, especially around like Santa Claus, is uh, either like the roots of the holiday itself. Uh, right. That it is, it seems to juxtapose completely against uh, God's truth that this isn't a holiday that's that's sanctioned by Scripture. But again, we've already talked about the fact that there are many cultural holidays which we really believe we have plenty of room in which to participate and really enjoy. Uh, I think more than anything, most of what I hear about Santa in particular is either a that it does cause confusion um, between you know on one hand you're saying well here's an omniscient character that I'm basically promulgating is real. And then later on, we, you know, he's fictitious, just kidding. But Jesus, this other omniscient character, he's, he's totally right. for real. He's totally legit. Uh, I mean, again, to my experience, I haven't seen a lot of that actually come out to play. I think the bigger piece would be B, and that is that sometimes people just decide they want to cut out the middleman. So they say, you know, I, I do want to give gifts to my children, and I'd rather they know that they're from me, that I want to be generous, and I want to show them that I do love them, and that that has no bearing on whether or not they're quote unquote good or bad, or I don't want to in kind of impose or infuse any kind of legalistic spectrum to this. I want them to know that I love them in the same way God loves us and that I want to give good gifts to them because they are my children and not just because they performed in some kind of way. Right. I mean, have you heard that kind of stuff before? Yeah. And I think we do have to be careful because, you know, the Santa Claus, uh, the Santa Claus traditions do rely on kind of a legalistic principle. Like if you're good, then Santa Claus is going to give you something good and he's going to reward you. And if you're bad, then um, you're going to get something that's not not just you're not going to get a gift, but he's going to trick you and give you something bad. Um, you know, and I think we have to be careful when we do that, because that's not, you know, like we said, we're not parents, but that's not the kind of message I would want to communicate to my kids. And I think that that does, um, you know, when we tell people, well, this is the gospel that. Um, you know, Christ loved you, that God loved you so much that his son died for you. And there's nothing you can do and nothing you need to do to be able to um, gain that blessing of being with Christ. You just have to trust him. Um, But then at the same time, you know, when you're trying to catechize your kids and then you throw this other thing in there, that's like completely 100% the opposite. Um, I do think that we have to be cautious. Um, You know, if you're playing, if you are clear with your kids, whether implicitly or explicitly, that, um, you know, Santa Claus is kind of a game we play this time of year or, you know, this is just a story we tell and and everybody's on the same page. I think that probably is a lot easier. The other thing that I hear people kind of bring up is like they're not comfortable lying to their children. And I'm not I'm not sure how I feel about that, um, because I think there are all sorts of circumstances where we communicate something that, strictly speaking, isn't true. Um, in order to further bless a person. And I don't mean like, you know, when someone is wearing something that's not flattering, you lie to them and tell them they look great. I'm talking about like a surprise party, right? If I'm throwing a surprise party for my wife and um, I need to tell her that we're going to this restaurant um, and, you know, we're just going there for a quiet dinner for the two of us when I know that everybody's meeting us there and is going to surprise us. Um, I don't think that's a sin. I guess maybe I could be wrong. Um, but I don't think that's a violation of the commandment not to lie. And I, I think depending on how, how you do it, that Santa Claus probably falls somewhere in that same spectrum, right? You're, you're, you're telling your kids, at least this is the intention behind it. You're telling your kids 
this story and you're presenting it to be true in order to be able to bless them and to have them enjoy the season a little bit more. Um, but again, you know, it, I suppose it depends on how you're telling it and what the intention is behind it. You know, if you're using it as kind of like a, like a story, you tell your kids to get them to behave um, or to go to sleep on Christmas night. Right. right? Um, then I think maybe you do fall into some of that sort of deceptive practice that we have to be cautious of. But though I think those are probably like the big objections that I've heard is sort of the idea that like it confuses the distinction between grace and law. You know, it, it it's lying to your kids. It could, could cause confusion in terms of trusting you as your parent that um, you tell them that Jesus is real and that he, you know, does certain things. And then you tell them similar things about Santa that when Santa turns out not to be real, then they kind of think that, you know, Jesus isn't real. I don't know anybody that would point to that and say, that's why I'm not a Christian. Right, Santa exactly. Claus isn't that's real. true. Um, I th- I've heard a lot of stories about people like that, but I've never actually run into a person. But I have talked to people who, who were genuinely hurt when they found out that their parents had been kind of carrying on this masquerade with them. So I think it is something that parents, you know, and Christians in general need to be cautious of. I think it can be a, a beautiful and wonderful opportunity to exercise some corporate corporate imagination yeah. in a way with, with kind of well-defined boundaries, but just like anything else, like you're saying, it can be abused. And it's clear that if it's not communicated in kind of the proper way in the context, and in point of fact, some of this may be just that when, if depending on what your family situation is like or how you gain this information, that especially in kind of non-believer environments, that it, it could be very legalistic and it could be, I'm sure, detrimental, even if you're not a Christian, to suddenly learn that all of this kind of quid pro quo that you've been raised with is all of a sudden all false. Right. And there's, there's, so there's plenty of people on both sides of this argument. Like I, I always remember and think of the fact that C.S. Lewis, who's like a brilliant man in his own right, totally embraced like Father Christmas for him and his culture because it's like very present in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And I even right. remember thinking, reading that as an adult, like this, well, this is kind of a little bit of an odd pairing, but for him, again, it was all about this essence of imagination that brings kind of a different dimension to the cultural holiday that doesn't at all diminish from who Jesus is and what he has done. Yeah. And there's something instructive about that. I mean, I think one of the marks of maturity in our Christian lives is our ability on non-essential issues to exercise charity so that when we have a personal conviction on these non-essentials that we don't feel the need to impose it on every other person. Yeah, and I think too, like, I think we all need to recognize that um, there are certain things in the scriptures that are 100% clear, that we yes. know are are true, and, and because those things are true, there are other things that are false. Um, obviously, you know, Santa Claus is not real. There's not a real person who lives at the North Pole and is flying around giving toys to people. But whether or not, yeah, I just ruined Jesse's life. Um, Whether or (laughs) not, you know, whether or not we um, play this kind of game with our families and our kids every season, um, that's not one of those things that the scripture is 100% clear on. Um, Some people would want to argue that it is, and I think that they're overstating their case. But um, I think we have to remember that even if you're convinced 
that that's the case, that that doesn't necessarily give you the right to like ruin someone else's tradition. Um, you know, you, you may think that you're the hero who busts into the preschool and tells all the kids that their parents are lying to them. Um, but really, if you do that kind of thing, you're, you're just a jerk. <laughs> um, there's really no two ways around it. Like if you are the person that's like going out of your way to reveal to people who think Santa Claus is real, that Santa Claus is not real, then, um, you probably need to like step back a little bit and rethink that. And I think at the same time, like if you are a, if you're a parent who decides I'm not going to do this game with my kids, um, you know, it probably makes sense to have a little talk with them to say, but you know, this is a game that people play and we don't want to ruin the game for other people. I just have this great image in my head of somebody thinking they are a hero, like a full-grown adult busting down a door to like a preschool, yes. <laughs> just yelling out, you've all been lied to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, Harry Potter spoiler, I mean, it's like 10 years after the books came out, but there's this funny video online that happened right after uh, book six came out. Um, we should talk about the Harry Potter book sometime. We definitely should. That's Mental a whole note. other topic. But there's a video of a guy who went to the line. He had somehow gotten a hold of the book ahead of time, and he went to the line of all the people waiting at Barnes and Noble, and he just drove by and was like, "Snape kills Dumbledore," <laughs> and then like took off. So that's what I picture somebody busting into like a first grade classroom and being like, "There's no Santa Claus." Oh, that's so great. You know what yeah. I thought? Because this is like the second time in my recent memory on this podcast where we like spoiled something like definitely historical in a sense. I forget what the first one was, but I it was the what, same thing. Was it the same thing? Yeah. It was, it was Santa Claus punching areas. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Historical spoiler yes. alert. So here's what I think we should do. We should just do a podcast where you and I try to spoil as many things as we possibly can in 30 <laughs> minutes. We just go back and forth and just like straight spoil stuff for people that yes. like, like, like you should have already experienced in your life if it was of interest to you. We should, that'll be our April Fool's Day that, episode. That would be great. Like we, we could just spend 20 minutes talking about the ending of Lost. It'll be called the spoiler episode. <laughs> but no, nobody understands the ending of Lost anyways. Spoiler so, alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, spoiler so alert, should... the show doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's it. if you got one episode in, we've spoiled it for you. That's for yeah. sure. So we should probably say, too, in all of this, that I, I think – no matter which side you fall on, that there's so many wonderful, loving Christian parents who are just well-intentioned with this and they'll make yes. different decisions about it, but it is truly because they love their children and their family. They love the Lord Jesus Christ and they're doing what they think will bring essentially the massive amount of tradition to bear and joyfulness of the holiday with a clarity of perspective about things that are cultural and things that are spiritual. So everybody that I met, even who's had different perspectives on this, I can tell that what they're doing is they're trying to be as loving and as generous as possible to their family and to their right. kids. So you just can't fault that kind of focus. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it bears saying that one of the things that I wish, um, especially in the Reformed community, I'll call us out for a second, is I really wish that we could learn as a Reformed Christian community to default to charity a little bit more. Amen. Um, you know, we are very quick to point out when someone's wrong, and that's totally okay. Like, there's a place and a way to say you're wrong about something. But um, a lot of times I think we take the next step from saying you're wrong, and then we say, and therefore you're bad. Um, or you're wicked, or you're intentionally leading people astray, or something like that. Heretic. 
Yeah, heretic. Um, and I just think we need to be like really careful about that. And I think the Santa Claus thing really kind of like embodies that of how even sort of the most hardened anti Santa Claus person that I know really doesn't want to like be that guy who spoils it for someone else's kids. Right. Um, and it's it you know so you might say like well that's just because they don't want to get in trouble with their friends, but it doesn't seem to be that. Like there's a recognition that um, this tradition brings joy to people, and even if you disagree with it. Um, stealing someone's joy away for your own satisfaction, your own personal theological satisfaction, um, I think is kind of unexcusable. Um, and there's, you know, there's a way to handle this kind of stuff that I think we, as a, you know, as a kind of younger reformed group, um, I think we need to be more intentional about how we approach some of those topics. Amen. I really like that. On issues that are open-handed, be charitable. And if yeah. there's anything that we learn from St. Nicholas, it's that on issues that are heresy, you slap that heresy Right. In the face. You should be open-handed in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> open-handed with the back of your hand. How, how can we make that a bumper sticker? Like, I, I love know. that. Like, open-handed in charity, the other open-handed in heresy. <laughs> yeah. Open-handed in fanny smacking. <laughs> Missional wear, get at us. Yes. We got all kinds of merch ideas for you. Yes. I'm surprised that there's not, uh, and I want royalties on this from this point forward, I hereby declare. I'm surprised that Missionware doesn't have, like, St. Nicholas of Myra gear to sell at Christmas time. Seriously. And, and how are they not, like, sponsoring this podcast now that we've basically given them this, like, all this free advertising? Yeah. We'll have to send them an email. Again, save this, file this under, like, podcast we'll do in the future where we get people to come on that we've mentioned so many times, like Mark Jones, yes. Missionware. Michael Horton, who else? Uh, St. Nicholas of Myra. St. Nicholas, where are you yeah. at? Come on the podcast. When we do podcasting in heaven, we'll have a St. Nicholas episode. Throw some throw some gold at us. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so, like throwing a bag of gold through someone's window while they're sleeping, though, is like really dangerous. Gold is heavy. Yeah, I mean, that's actually, I mean, I've held gold before. It is, it is definitely solid, and I'm with you. Like, I presume that, again, it's all legend, but I presume, like, open window or like again like you you got that coming at you you definitely want to get out of the way i suppose it softens the blow when you open it up and realize it's gold but yeah if it doesn't crush your skull yeah nonetheless (laughs) (laughs) the story would have taken like a totally different it would have been a darker a darker christmas that year yeah that's that's my record for this week is go look up saint nicholas and see especially all these like wonder worker stories about him there is some really interesting and strange things yeah. So you had asked a question in the uh, Facebook group about devotions and stuff. So why don't we go through a couple of those answers? Yeah, let's set those up. So I, about this time of year, I always start thinking about what is going to be my plan and approach for the next year. And I like to think about it. I know like around the turn of the year, there's a lot of things that are written about devotionals, devotional plans, stuff like that. I like to give myself a little bit of time ahead of the new year. So I don't feel like the pressure to like have to pick something like right off the top because I haven't thought about it. So I threw out this question into the group and that was what written audio, etc., resource in addition to, but not as a replacement for the scriptures has been a blessing to your personal devotions. And we got lots and lots of good answers. Yeah. So Chuck Murphy talks about olive tree software, um, which we've talked about in the past. Uh, I think you could throw Logos and Bible works and those kind of stuff in there, which awesome. gives you the ability to like search through scripture in a way that you just probably couldn't with like a traditional concordance. Um, he also mentions doing uh, listening to different kinds of podcasts. He mentioned uh, Reform Forum, which is awesome, and then White Horse Inn, which is also great. Side note, White Horse Inn uh, did an episode where they went through the theology of Christmas movies. That's definitely worth checking out. 
That's it's so I'll awesome. put a, I'll put a link in the show notes to that. It's awesome. Not as good as ours, but whatever. It's <laughs> it's awesome. So Trevor mentioned, and he I think he's the only one who did this. Uh, he says a good hymnal, and he recommends yes. specifically the Gatsby hymnal. And I thought that was just wonderful. So whether or not even you're into music, some of these yeah. amazing hymns are such a wonderful way to bring some poetry and some different expression of really solid biblical truths into your kind of daily meditation. Yeah, and if you're exclusive psalmody, you don't have to sing them. You can just read them, and then they're not songs. It's just poetry because that's the difference between poetry and songs that you sing a song. Cue, cue the letters from the exclusive Simonity people. <laughs> we love you guys. What is our website and what is our email address again? I I, uh, I think it's idea at wretchedradio.com. Just send <laughs> your emails to Todd Friel. Yeah, there you go. So uh, uh, Christopher Bartowski um, put crosswire.org, which I've never checked out, uh, but it's a, kind of an open source Bible software um, which is like a version or sort of like an online version of um, Logos or something along those lines. I'm not familiar with that either, but I'm definitely going to check that out because it looks really legit. Yeah. Yeah, it does. That's fantastic. So Josh Ford had a lot of good recommendations, one of which I use as well, and that is Valley of Vision, which is that yes. collection of Puritan prayers. That is like a treasure chest. If you do not have a copy of that, just for your personal prayer life. Oh my gosh, that is such a beautiful resource. Yeah, and I think uh, Joe Thorne actually has a an edition of Valley of Vision that has like a reading plan built into it that he published, I think through Banner of Truth Trust, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think that. it's actually free on his site and he tells you like which, which edition. I think it's like the leather bound edition. Yeah, you yeah. can get that at Banner of Truth. It's just whatever it is, you should just throw money at them and say, send this to me. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah, and then Josh Ford also mentions uh, Table Talk from Ligonier, and um, Table Talk is um, like a, I think they do it is it bi monthly, but it's a, a magazine that they publish. And what's cool about the magazine is it actually contains like a devotional calendar reading in it, um, and they go through different topics that are related to kind of the subject of their issue. Um, but they have like daily readings and daily articles that get added in um, for devotional uses. So that's a really good recommendation as well. So speaking of like devotional reading plans, do you have one in particular that you use? Um, well, this year I did um, the is it machine or whatever, the, the one that he put out. Um, yeah. And that was good. Um, I usually just kind of do like a year-long reading plan. I think this year I'm going to do a chronological reading plan. So I'm going to go through uh, in chronological order. Um, Classic. But the ESV study Bible order is pretty good. And then you're doing like a little bit of Old Testament, a little bit of New Testament each um, each day, um, which is is really helpful for people who haven't spent a lot of time really digging into the scriptures. Um, you know, we joked about it before, but it, it really is is the fact that you get to like the middle or end of February when you hit that uh, tabernacle section in Exodus, and it's just hard to get through. It's hard to keep right. going, um, and having that New Testament um, chapter to kind of you know get to where it's it's a little easier to read, it's a little easier to understand. Um, rather than like like a chapter and a half or three chapters in a row of measurements and colors of the cloak of the curtains and stuff for the tabernacle, you actually get to something that um, is a little bit clearer. Um, I don't want to say anything negative, obviously, about the stuff in Exodus, but it, it's hard to it takes some endurance to get through. Sure. Yeah, it's just different. I, I also have done for the past several years the McShay plan. Yeah, I do really like that because it provides you it's like four readings a day, some variety. And I, I plan on doing that again this year, but I've just discovered this and I can't vouch for it too much, except that I'm stoked to do it. 
there's two books um, called For the Love of God uh, by D.A. Carson yes. that actually go along with the McShay reading plan and provide some commentary in one of those readings. Yeah. And I'm really stoked to add that this year, actually, just to anything. I'm always looking for something that's going to give me a greater appreciation for what I'm reading. So it slows me down a bit. Yeah. And I'm really stoked about using that resource. Yeah, great. So what other resources, let's say that somebody was like, listen, I do a lot of reading or I do some traveling in my car. And so therefore I'm looking for something more in the audio realm. What could we possibly recommend to them, Tony? <laughs> we are so good at this. We We're love so segues. good. We are so good at segues. Um, we uh, have a free trial available of Audible. Uh, you can go to audibletrial.com slash brotherhood. And uh, this week I was just looking kind of, like I said, at the Christmas ones. And uh, they have The Case for Christmas, which is by Elise Strobel available. So good. Yeah. So this time of year is a, you know, it's, we've talked a little bit about how this time of year people are open to discussions that they might not otherwise be open for. And um, Case for Christmas is, um, he uses sort of the same methodology that he applied in Case for Christ um, to sort of talk about what happened on Christmas and what are the impacts and who is Jesus. So, um, you know, it's a it's a relatively short ebook. It comes in at about two hours. And um, I think it'd just be something good you can listen to on the way, you know, the way to work or if you ride the train or whatever. Um, you can crank that up to three times speed uh, if you can handle it and you can get through it pretty quick. Uh, but again, you can go to ref- uh, you can go to audibletrial.com slash brotherhood and get your free trial uh, on us. It's not like we have to pay. for We actually get paid if you do the free trial. So you'd help us out as well. Lee Strobel is a champ. He could write something called like the case for gluten and I would be all over that. <laughs> would you? I don't know. The I case. Would, I don't know. I would definitely take it seriously. I just saw like actually an interesting documentary with my wife that made this case that like the gluten that we eat, it, this is so on topic. That's the funny. gluten that we eat is like, the reason it's so bad for us is because it's mainly processed food and like not enough of our food is fermented, which I don't have a problem with right there. That um, like real bread, like sourdough bread, for instance, is fermented yeah. and the gluten is legit and use proper grains that like even intolerant people would just like fall in love with bread. I don't know if any of that's true, but it was it was very convincing. So at least trouble if you could really bet that that would be great. I would like him to write a book called The Case for Queso and have it be all about cheese. <laughs> that would that'd be good. That'd be a good yeah. book. That that is actually good. We need to stop putting this these great ideas out into the public sphere because I feel like we're losing like a lot of money. We gotta be. We gotta be losing money on this. Yeah, it's it's crazy. This is like this already should be the worth for anybody listening. This should be like the worth worth the price of admission. Which, by the way, was zero. Yes. Because there's no way we could actually charge for this. No, no one would pay us for this stuff. So do you have any, speaking of uh, being paid, do you have any final recommendations, thoughts for this week, Tony? Um, you know, I think just, uh, like you said, take a little bit of time and look up who um, the original St. Nicholas is and um, just really kind of think about how somebody who, you know, we have kind of turned into something he wasn't, um, take time to really reflect on his passion for the truth, his passion for serving uh, his fellow man, um, and how, you know, at Christmas time, whether you're into Christmas or not, um, it's a good time of year to really think about those things. You know, think about the incarnation, think about um, what God has done for us in Christ, and then think about how we should then take that and use it to serve, you know, those who are around us. Amen. Yeah. And I, I would just like to remind everybody, because I think it's important, 
the non-essential matters, the open hand of St. Nicholas. In heretical matters, the, the other, other open, open hand. hand. I think, you know how like sometimes when uh, like when a person joins a church, they talk about giving them the right hand of fellowship? <laughs> I think we should start this new thing about giving people the right hand of St. Nicholas. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to start saying that. When like when you have to like administer church discipline or like just have a, a tough com- conversation, just like any time you want to like smack someone down on the internet, <laughs> we'll just call it the right hand of Saint Nicholas. Uh, I love that. Somebody make a T-shirt already. What are I know. we doing? What's happening? Uh, this this conversation exceeded all of my expectations. <laughs> I don't know where we go from here. It's only down. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right. Well, on that well, note. <laughs> yeah. Thank thank you, everyone, for listening to us ramble from everything from St. Uh, Nicholas to gluten case case for queso. <laughs> and the right, the right hand of St. Nicholas. The right hand of St. Nicholas. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Uh, what if I'm fine?